Hey everyone, how's it going? And welcome back to Citywide Blackout, your home for music, movies, and more. I'm your host, Max Bowen. Well, folks, mark those calendars for March 1st because Ariane Torres has some big news to share. Her debut book, We Are the Kings, is set to release through Bold Story Press. In this interview, we talk about the main character, Marcella, and the personal traits that she shares with people in the author's life. We look at the themes of feminism, domestic space, and women's invisibility, how they're explored in the book, as well as why Ariane wants to include them. Ariane's background includes majoring in Russian studies and English lit, and graduate work in prison architecture and aging in prison. These played a role in the book and its writing, and we look at how that happened. Hey everyone, how's it going? And welcome back to the show. Hope you guys are enjoying the rather brisk February. If you're like me, living in the southeastern Massachusetts, it's uh, it's pretty brutal right now, actually. We just had some more snow. It's about like 10 degrees outside, so pretty standard for like this time of the year in this part of the world. But what's it like where you are? Is it sunny? Is it warm? Is it raining? Is it snowing? What do you guys got going on there? How's it going over there? Hope it's all good because... We're coming up on, you know, the two-year anniversary of this whole COVID thing. I can remember a time we all thought it was one big joke. We made the puns. We shared the memes. And then the joke was on all of us. So I genuinely hope everyone's doing okay, kind of keeping things going, finding something to focus on, and some positive energy out there. But I'm going to bring things up a bit. I'm going to be talking to my next guest. She is on the verge of publishing her debut novel, we Are the Kings this is coming out on March 1st through Bold Story Press. I am joined by Ariane Torres. Ariane, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Hi, thanks for having me. Okay. All right. Yeah, I, we're definitely going to dive into the story, but I want to first ask about release day. So this one is coming up for you. At the time of this recording, it's about um, uh, two weeks away. How are you feeling? Are you nervous? Are you excited? I'm feeling all the things. Um, I... <laughs> So yes, I'm really excited. I'm also nervous. Um, and then in some ways, it's another thing entirely because this has been a process I, that I, I started writing this a long time ago and kind of put it aside and didn't think it was going to go anywhere. So in a lot of ways, kind of going back now, um, doing the last edits and stuff like that, I'm revisiting a, a earlier part of my life, you know, when this, all this stuff felt very present and now I'm kind of looking back and I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> so there's a little bit of distance, which is probably healthy. Um, so, so it kind of, um, balances the, the fear and, you know, intense excitement, but overall it's good. I am excited. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Cause yeah. I know that for like a lot of artists, Release date can be tough during COVID because normally they'll be planning like tours, uh, signings, what have you, and all that's kind of got to go out the door because some places you, you can't do that. Some places requiring like masks and vax cards mm-hmm. and so forth. So it definitely changes the whole like dynamic of what you're doing. But I want to uh, touch on something you mentioned earlier about how you were doing this a while back. You put it aside, you picked it back up. What happened that you put the pause on this and then what happened to get you back into it? Well, yeah, so there's been a couple stops and starts. Um, I I had always wanted to write um, and I'd been sort of messing around with an idea for a long time and I did a bunch of drafts. Um, but it's really hard to just kind of be in your own space by yourself trying to churn it out. Um, so I, yeah, I didn't do classes or a writing program and stuff. Um, 
And so I, in some ways it was like really cool to just have, you know, no limits on what I could, could write about and think about. Um, and in other ways it was just really hard to keep the momentum going. Um, and I had a child, so the whole, that thing is, you know, takes up a little bit of time. Um, <laughs> um, but I think, I also think it was probably good just to take some breaks because I, I spent a lot of time looking at it so closely that it almost was like, you know, when you say a word over and over again and you're like, is that even a word? Um, so I felt like I, I, I was like, I can't, I can't even tell if this is terrible or awesome or anything because it's just, it's just a jumble. Um, so, so yeah. Um, and I guess I would have to credit both my mom and my mother-in-law for kind of pushing me to keep working on it. And my sister, my husband, um, my husband's always saying, you know, just like enjoy the process, which is totally terrific advice, but it's not like a strong suit of mine. So, <laughs> um, but I, you know, look, I think I did enjoy the process a lot too. Um, and I kind of look forward to hopefully doing another one with a little bit more, um, you know, now I kind of like know what it's like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And I think it really helps that you didn't have a deadline here. There was no like publisher yeah. like breathing like down your neck saying, Okay, you know, have this thing done by X date and you're thinking, Oh my god, oh my god, I have so much left to do. Yeah, yeah. And and previously my I haven't really taken many writing classes. I did one in college, um, but mostly it was academic writing that I did, which is arguably maybe harder, but also in some ways there's the 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 structure already that, you know, like, this is what I'm trying to say. Hopefully I'll get to this point by this many pages. This is who I'm citing or whatever. Um, so kind of having the no real structure or, you know, establishing the structure myself when I didn't really know how to, that was kind of hard. <laughs> um, but 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 fun too. Yeah, definitely. Now, when you pick mm -hmm. up the book after being away from it for so long, did you find you had to like reread basically the entire thing to say, okay, that's where I like left off. This is what I'm running about, and this is how it's going to go. Not really. I think for I I found myself rearranging things, and then I would get confused like where I put it. Um, so. I just because there were so many drafts where I would be like, oh, maybe this this part should go here and. Um, so I put it down and I couldn't remember what I'd done. Um, and a lot of times I came up with the same really good idea, like four times through, you know, it's like, oh yeah, I should do that. And then I realized like, I already, I already did that and it's not that great of an idea. Um, but it, it's exciting to go back and like what you did. Um, and then there's also moments when you're kind of like cringing, like, uh, that wasn't <laughs> oh a good God, creative choice. Oh God, I wrote that. Yeah. Oh geez. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Quickly delete that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that's when you take uh, the, uh, the, uh, the manuscript, a trash can, you light on fire saying no one will ever know I did this. Exactly. Yeah. How are you when faced with like uh, those moments? Like when you, when you, when, when like you look at something and say, wow, this was just terrible. How are you at sort of like confronting that, that feeling? I would say I'm not great at it. Um, it's very, very humbling, but um, I don't know. I think, I think I don't even, you know, I guess 
if it sort of depends on whether or not I think of myself as a real artist and I'm not sure I am, but there's always that balance of kind of listening to your voice and the thing, you know, what, what feels really true to you. And then also trying to make it palatable to other people who you want to read or appreciate it. And I think I probably have kind of weird taste in literature or something, maybe not necessarily all that conventional, but that's very different from the way I write. Um, and trying to, trying to figure out, you know, is this, is this just bad or is this something I can keep working on? Or is this, would this be cool to anyone but myself? Um, and I, yeah, so I think it's, all the my dog is coming in here now. Um, <laughs> it's the dog show. We're changing things up a little bit. Yeah, sorry. Um, Aw, but um, <laughs> she's she's very nice. I don't know why she got up here, but I think she's gonna lie down. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I guess it's it, it's all part of the process. I remember reading someone somewhere. I think it was um, Elizabeth Gilbert who wrote. Eat, Pray, Love, and a couple other, you know, it was an interview not about that book, but she was sort of saying, like, don't get so attached to one idea, you know, just if, if it's really not working, just like let it go. Um, and I heard that interview while I was writing, and I remember being like, that's good advice, you know, just when something's not working, just let it go, it's, you know. Which I think can be very hard because especially if the idea is one that you were really in love with for so long to yeah. realize, yeah, this is just not panning out. You got to dump the whole thing, whether it's a character or a chapter or an entire book. I think yeah. that can be a very hard thing to do because it's like, wow, I thought this was so brilliant. It turns out it's garbage. Now what do I do? What, <laughs> what does that like mean for me? Does it mean I'm a terrible person? Am I not really an mm -hmm. artist? You know, I think, mm -hmm. I think that, I think like, like artists have, can have so much doubt in their souls already. Yeah. To add that to it can be really tough. Yeah, absolutely. It's such a confidence game because, you know, just, just putting yourself out there in any way in, you know, any kind of art is you have to have a certain amount of, belief that you can do it but that's also you're you're also usually terrified that you can't and that you won't and that you shouldn't and I think that's why you know people who you know write and sing and act and all that uh you know we're such hot messes we're just we're just carrying around a lot of a lot of confusing feelings <laughs> mm -hmm. exactly Exactly. All right. Well, enough feelings. Let us dive back into the story. We are going to get there eventually, folks. Bear with us. We're, we're getting there eventually. Um, it's just kind of the course of the of the uh, the conversation. Um, but I do want to ask one more question, though, uh, before, we, before we get into said story. How does it feel to have it done, that this is no longer part of your daily routine to work on this book? It's really exciting. I think in some ways... Um, like I, I finished a final draft and then I, I started having early contractions for my, my daughter and it felt very like, okay, I was meant to finish this right now and now I'm doing it and now I can go do the next thing. Um, and so I was really, really distracted for a long time. So I didn't really appreciate, wow, I'm done. Um, 
but going back and looking at it, um, and I think the ending of, of the book is something I, I really like the ending. Um, so reading just, I, I can remember the feeling of, you know, going through those last couple of paragraphs and being like, yeah, I'm done. Um, and that still feels pretty good. <laughs> I'll bet. I'll bet. All right. Yeah. So talking story, uh, this book focuses, um, on, uh, Marcella as she is grieving mm-hmm. from the death of her grandmother. She unearths uh, mm-hmm. family secrets and refuses to settle for a predictable life or a boring man, which no one should, frankly. And mm-hmm. this is her kind of going through her family's conflicting, kind of like tricky memories. She's kind of discovering a lot, actually, things uh, that she apparently didn't really know in the, uh, the first place. I guess the one thing I'm wondering is where did this particular idea come from? Like all the different tracks you could have gone down as a writer, what made this the one you said, okay, this is what I'm going to write about? I think it, it, I mean, the, the really probably my grandmother's, um, I think as I got older, I started looking at my grandmothers and their lives and kind of wondering about the limitations they experienced and, you know, sort of being like, how well did I really know them as I, you know, because, um, I, I had a, I had four grandmothers, like my, my mother's mother, my father's mother and stepmother and my stepmother, stepfather's mother. Um, and two in particular, I asked three were very, very powerful women in my, at least how I saw them throughout my childhood, even though because of sexism and misogyny and all kinds of other constraints, they, they probably didn't think of themselves as powerful at all. Um, and the older I got that I, I really saw them differently and saw their lives differently. Um, and after losing one of them in particular, I felt like, you know, just kind of overwhelmed with the questions I hadn't asked her. And so years later, I think that, that kind of feeling um, turned into the book um, because, you know, all of us have kind of the story that we tell ourselves and the story we tell other people and um, kind of trying to, trying to like meld those two and, and how memory affects all that stuff um, was really, I guess, the, the seed for the book. Mm-hmm. Now in the book's description, um, Marcella is, re- is referred to as the book's anchor which is thing I don't mm-hmm. often uh, hear characters referred to as. How is she the anchor for the story? After the death of the, the grandmother, Adele, um, the, the women in the family kind of explore the, the circumstances of her death and aspects of her life and, and learn a lot about her that they didn't really understand before. Um, and Marcella, it's all through Marcella's point of view and, she, even the stories of the other women, her sisters, her mother and her aunt and her grandmother, other grandmother, um, they're all kind of distilled through her experience. So I think in some ways there's some heavy stuff that is part of the book, but she is not necessarily the heaviest of people. Like she's got some um, happy humor and stuff. So I, I kind of was hoping that 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 would keep the story from being like, you know, unbearably dark or anything. <laughs> so, um, and I kind of toyed around with how to manage that and other drafts. Um, I had multiple perspectives and then I ended up thinking that it would, it, it worked best 
just through her. Hmm. Did you go through a lot of drafts before you settled on like the final one? Oh yeah. Yeah. So many. I, the early ones are just, they're so bad. I, um, yeah, many, many, many drafts and, um, yeah, just years and years of rewriting it. <laughs> Sometimes that, that's, you know, how it goes, you know, like I, yeah. I've talked to some writers who say that their first draft was their best draft. They said, yeah, I made very few changes. I have a couple new tweaks here and there and others are more like your situation when they say, yeah, it took me like 20 years to do this. It's, you know, it took like 17 drafts, but it's finally done. Um, yeah. Given that you had to deal with so many drafts, though, did you ever hit a point where you think maybe this is just not going to happen? Maybe I should just say forget about it and do something else. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah. So I did probably in, it took me about five years to write. Um, and I, I was doing other things as well. And I think that is helpful to have, you know, other work that you've got to just get you out of your head a little bit. Um, but I, you know, I kind of go back to the idea of like, you know, my book doesn't have to work for everyone just the way all the books that I love probably don't work for everyone. And, um, and I think even when I wanted to stop, I would end up finding myself thinking about it and being like, Oh, maybe I'll just tweak that one other thing. And, um, and then sharing it with people. And, um, I think that was one of the funnest parts was sharing it with people who I didn't really know. And then, you know, hearing them, kind of like it be like no no no, you should do this um that was very encouraging so uh yeah but yeah the multiple drafts it's it's tough <laughs> it can be it's certainly it yeah. certainly can be now um i don't yeah. want to give too many spoilers away obviously people need to be reading the book of course um but the things that marcella sort of discovers about her grandmother her grandmother's life are these like shocking revelations or is it more of just kind of following the journey and learning more about this person? Um, I would say they're pretty shocking, but uh, yeah, a little of both, but, but definitely shocking to Marcella and her sisters and, but also kind of helping them to understand aspects of her, their grandmother in, in ways that they hadn't before. Mm. I'm guessing it's not that grandma was secretly some kind of like underworld crime boss. She was. That's it. Oh, <laughs> man. I, bl I, I blew it. Oh, I blew the ending. Sorry, everyone. No, no. I, I didn't think that, so. I'll put that in my next one. Right. Thank yeah. You. I like that. I don't know. I think I think if I guessed it so easily, it's maybe it's it's not the most like it, it's, it's probably not the best twist. If I figured it out right. that fast, it's not a good sign. Man. All right. Um, I want to uh, also talk about themes uh, because this book covers a number of different themes, uh, feminism, domestic space, women's invisibility. The last one really caught my eye. Could we talk a little more about that, kind of like how that became a theme for the book and I guess like how you, how you see this in our society? Yeah. Um, so in the book, I think, you know, you, in some ways, the, the revelations about Adele are shocking. And in some ways, you know, all these inconsistencies about her life had been there all along. So, um, you know, the, the notion of like, what's actually seen, um, I, I always find kind of interesting. Um, and I think I'm, you know, in, in, 
I'm I'm always kind of drawn to marginalized voices. Um, and I think I, as a woman that I certainly, that's a big deal, but also all kinds of other communities. Um, and my graduate school work was, I, I did some, um, architectural, I did design masters and then a degree in American studies. And I looked at, um, people in prison. Um, so the designs of prisons and then just the experience of growing old in prison, that was what I studied. Um, and those are people who are arguably invisible, um, and they're very much alive and real and, you know, in every city in our, in our country, you've got people who are locked up and stuck and alone and, you know, and I think that the idea of that is, you know, a big part of why I feel like it's so important to, to make sure everybody gets to tell their story. Um, so that's sort of like circuitous, I guess, but in, in that, that work I did does kind of, it's, it, it, it is part of Marcella's life as well. Um, so I think she's sort of looking at the, the different ways that, um, all kinds of people are made to feel invisible. And she is the kind of person who refuses to ever be invisible, which was intentional. <laughs> mm-hmm. Tell me a little more about Marcella. I think Marcella is like, she kind of came to me. She's based on somebody, like aspects of someone I know, and I, I don't want to say her name, but she was a friend of mine who just was never she was just awesome, but kind of like, I remember running into her and she was like, I can't find my shoes. And this was like out and about. And I was just like, how, how does that happen to an adult woman that you lost your shoes? Um, but she was so weird and likable and brilliant and empathetic and just this like wonderful, strange force. And, um, I, I just, you know, we're still friends and stuff. And I, I don't, I don't even know if she knows that I kind of took her and put her into a book, um, or parts of her, but I, I wanted to make a female character who was authentically flawed, but not, not in the way where it's like, oh, she has a messy bun and she's got these like cute quirks. And then we're going to watch her not be quirky anymore. And she's going to straighten her hair and you know we'll kind of watch her get tamed and managed a little bit and then the end will be you know some kind of reward like I wanted her to stay as you know loud and bold and weird and like making her mistakes and have it be fine like not like that not that everything's perfect but just like everything is fine she the way she is is fine which is like what I want to tell all women and just everyone (laughs) kind of, you know, like we're all fine. There's no need to, to, you know, bend over backwards trying to fit some convention. Um, But I think particularly I, I, that's the kind of thing that I want to see more of in, um, in books and movies. I want to see women like that. So I I made her. (laughs) You know, what you described earlier about, you know, being tamed and so forth, that really reminds you of basically like every romantic comedy 
ever made basically it's you know you know yeah. um a goofball girl becomes like elegant swan gets me gets me over dreams roll credits right and i like that right. you want to keep your character the same because i feel like that's reality actually that's how people are yeah yeah and you know just the idea of like i don't want to swear but just like you know who cares about perfection you know like you don't have to have the perfect life or the perfect body or whatever and i think that i think everybody but i think women in particular feel a lot of pressure to you know be smart and interesting and a feminist and all this other stuff but also make sure you check these other boxes and i think that you know you can you can want to be a mother and be in a marriage or a great relationship and have all these boxes checked and also that doesn't mean that you have to force yourself into anything like um and i think sometimes sometimes those portrayals of women it's like you know like i hate men or you know very very annoyingly cliched fears about intimacy or something and then like the perfect man appears and then you know it's like oh she's fixed you know and um so I, I just didn't want to do that. I just wanted, I wanted somebody who was like, you know, real and, you know, it's confusing. Like none of us are, you know, just a sort of simple set of ideas. Putting themes like that in the story, is that something you can be subtle with or does it have to be a pretty like strong message? I would say it's pretty strong in the book. Um <laughs> But it's also, you know, I also hope it's kind of funny, you know, just like, I, you know, I think it's, I think every, we should all just laugh as much as we can. And a, a big part of it is her kind of laughing through it all, which I think, you know, it works for me. So I recommend it. That's why I put it in. <laughs> All right. All right. Now, you talked a bit about about your background, and I want to dive a little more into that. So you attended um, uh, Mount, uh, Mount Holyoke College, where you majored in Russian studies and English lit, and then your graduate work focused on prison architecture and aging in prison. And you've worked mm -hmm. in, in interior design and prison advocacy. Talked a little bit about how this, how this kind of like inspired like parts of the book, but I'm wondering like how else did like all these different parts of your life kind of like factor into the story yeah i i've always really loved interior design and architecture um and you know like when i when i can't sleep or if i'm nervous or something i try to remember all the details of particular spaces that made me happy um and a lot of them are the spaces that my grandparents occupied um so I've always, you know, I'm I'm very very interested in everything about architecture and design and to me it's very fundamental to kind of who I am and how I live my life. Um but you know my in my book I'm sort of talking about women who live in pretty lovely spaces and there are also aspects um of like prison and prison architecture and stuff. Um, but with, I guess with, with my graduate work, I just was sort of thinking about like, for my, my thesis, like what, if I could do a project that would affect 
like a huge group of people, what would it be? And so I started looking into like refugee housing, which is really, really interesting too. Um, but there, there was just something really powerful about um, prison architecture and, you know, mass incarceration and, um, and I just, you know, it's, it's like kind of like the, you can't look away once you start delving into just how many people in this country are imprisoned in, you know, horrific conditions and the racism and just this like Byzantine nightmare of a criminal justice system we have. Um, and, you know, again, just that that exists, you know, for, for a lot of people that is not shocking, you know, and for a lot of people it is, and that's, that's kind of strange in a society. Um, so I don't know if I'm answering your question cause I got sidetracked, but, um, I guess you're sort of asking, you know, I, I don't really have an answer about how that interest and that work that I was doing somehow led me to writing. But I would say that, um, for a period of time, I was spending a lot of time with men who were serving really, really long sentences, all for murder. And um, <clears throat> all of them were older and had spent a considerable amount of time in prison doing all kinds of things to better themselves and were fully prepared to return and to give back to society. But they couldn't, you know, they, they, they didn't get paroled or whatever else. Um, and I was I think that experience was one of the most powerful of my life. Just, you know, there was, I, I wouldn't have ever encountered these people had I not kind of reached out and tried to get them to talk to me for my research. But um, I was just blown away by how brilliant and kind and um, cool they were. And it was like, I, I had all these previous ideas about like, well, gosh, if you kill someone, that's pretty awful. And it is, <laughs> but, um, there are real reasons why people end up there, which is not to say that, you know, the, the victims, um, and, and stuff like, you know, I have all the sympathy in the world for that too, but I, I did find myself thinking about the complexity of human beings and the decisions we make in a way that I, I hadn't really thought that my thinking would change that much more at that age. Like I kind of felt like, no, I kind of like know how I see the world and sort of becoming friends with somebody who was in prison for murder would did not necessarily like years before I would not have thought that would happen. So, you know, I, I, a big part of my book is about, memory and how you see things and how that changes and your memory of that change changes also. Um, and it's all just kind of the fabric of, of all of our stories. So if there's any link that makes sense, I hope I articulated that. <laughs> you did. You did. I get you. Okay. I get you. <laughs> um, did you wind up putting any of the people that you met through your research into the book in some form or another? Sort of, um, but definitely not, not, I mean, there are people who are in prison, the characters, um, in the book, um, 
I don't think it would be recognizable to anyone because it's it's more it's more just kind of like moments um and which is you know the the whole book in some ways is just moments um and like stringing together a series of moments that you know I felt mattered so it's more capturing a, a moment with this, the idea of what this person is experiencing and the idea of what that person's exper- experiencing as opposed to a, a real like illustration of a particular person. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, going back to Marcella, one of the things that I saw that kind of caught my eye was that she refuses to settle for a predictable life or a boring man. So what kind of life does she want? And what kind of person does she want to be with? Or does she want to be with anyone? She doesn't know. And she doesn't, she also doesn't really want to know. Um, She just doesn't, I think, I think what I was trying to articulate earlier, and I don't think I did it well, but um, like a lot of women, she wants to be a mother someday. She wants to be in a good relationship that makes her happy. But she also doesn't like the way it feels sometimes when you're in a relationship and she doesn't quite know what she wants. So she feels the pressure of the conventions that a lot of people experience in our culture, but also doesn't kind of buckle to them. So she kind of wants it all, you know, she wants, she wants her freedom. She wants to have all her adventures. She, you know, wants the kind of conventional stuff, doesn't like that. She wants the conventional stuff. Um, and, but I think, and and I think that's pretty, I think a lot of people feel all that, but she, she doesn't buckle under, you know, the pressure to figure it out to just like, okay, we'll pick one, you know, um, she's, she's sort of strong enough in herself to just continue to, to sort of figure it out, which, which is a very privileged way to live her life also. But um, she she's in that position to do so, and she does. I think it's interesting because if like a guy said that, I do not want to have with a predictable life or like a boring person, they'd be like, oh yeah, go for it, dude. You know, you know, do that thing, have that adventure. But for women, it's like, oh no, don't do that. You know, settle for the predictable stuff. It's like this very mm-hmm. it's very almost like hypocritical uh, uh, take on things. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, I think we don't like to admit it, but I think that as a culture, it's like, it's a little bit easier for us to imagine women lowering their standards than, than men. Um, even though that's not true or real, it's more just like the idea of it. We're sort of like, oh yeah, you know, um, which is crazy, but I, it does seem that a lot to be that like a lot of that stuff is, is changing and the the younger generation, you know, like these millennials, um, they're awesome. Just like I, I love the just stomping all over everything. I think it's terrific. <laughs> exactly. They're they're out there doing their own thing. And I see that more and more. Um, just the drive and the determination. Cause like I think anyone who who would say that millennials are lazy, that's complete bullshit. It's complete mm-hmm. bullshit. Mm-hmm. They're just not doing the usual thing. And that's awesome. 
they're yeah they're starting yeah. businesses and they're publishing books and they're getting to music like they're saying you know what I want to do my own journey as opposed to like the safe route you know which is yeah. great I I, th I think it's yeah. awesome I think it's good that they have that kind of courage because I think that previous generations the focus was more on stability you know get that mm -hmm. job stay there for like forty years get that house you know do all those like box checking things and yet you get to the end of your life, you're like, huh, I didn't really do what I wanted to do. I kind of did what was expected exactly. of me. Yeah. I always think, you know, historically, if you look at, you know, it's the younger generations who are pushing for change and you don't have to agree with all of it or all the methods, but for the most part, like they're right, <laughs> you know? So just, I don't, I, I don't know. I get really excited just you know, watching, you know, the, the walkouts and the striking for climate change, you know, like, I, I think it's terrific. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Is that Marcella? Is she that kind of like age range? Is she kind of like meant to be representative of that new way of thinking? Do you think? No, no. I think Marcella is of an earlier era. And I don't, I, I think that in some ways, maybe it would be a little less radical if she were part of this general, like the, the younger generation we're talking about. Um, yeah, that's a really good, interesting question, but no, I, I kind of think of her as she'd, she'd probably be about like my age now, <laughs> 40. So yeah, but that's a really interesting question. Thank you. <laughs> I think that, that that really adds a little more depth to her character, too, because you're not making her a millennial. You're, you're, you're like, making her a person kind of from, you know, the older, like, the the previous generation. But mm -hmm. she has that almost, like, millennial spirit to her. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I... A part of, you know, one of the things that made me feel like you know, should this book go on was that the, you know, the, the Trump presidency and it changed so much so quickly for so many people. And, you know, I, I think for, for a lot of people, the, the fact that we as a country elected someone like him is not shocking. And I think for a lot of people, it was shocking. Um, but I remember feeling like, you know, this, this, this story could not happen during or after the Trump presidency because so much changed. Um, and I, you know, I, it, it, it's not necessarily so far behind, but, um, a, a lot of the, uh, yeah, I, I can't, I feel like I can't really give away more because it's like, would be unhelpful if somebody wants to read the book without without that but um yeah marcella is definitely of an earlier slightly earlier era and so is the book itself okay all right um i want to ask about working uh, with bold story press uh, how the how did you come to their attention and what's it been like working with them um they're awesome um it really was my sister who um I think a friend of hers was working with them and she said, you know, you should talk to this person. And, um, 
I had been talking to a couple different agents during the pandemic. And then it was like, everything just dropped. Um, the people were like, Oh, I'm, I'm moving to Ohio to get out of New York and I'll get back to you. And there's a, a couple different circumstances like that. And then I didn't hear anything for a while. And I was kind of like, all right, you know, pretty just focused on my family during the pandemic. Um, and then my sister was like, well, just, just give her a call or something. Or I, or I, I think I sent a couple chapters and, and then, um, I ended up having a conversation with Emily who started it. And I just, I just like loved her vibe. And, um, I still do. I, she's just, she's a super cool woman. And it's like, I was sort of thinking my, my father-in-law was like, she's a startup and you're a startup and just, just go for it. Um, because you know, it's a small press and she's trying to do something different. And, um, and I think it's really cool. And I was very, very excited that she was so, um, warm and encouraging and enthusiastic. And, um, and she also is just, you know, she'll answer, like, I have a lot of random questions about how all this works. And it's nice to be able to just like email her and say, can I ask you why this is this or whatever? And she's got a ton of experience and, um, is really, really open about like always answering questions. And so it's so far, it's been really wonderful. All right. All right. Well, Ariane, thank you uh, so much for joining me. I really, really appreciate this. And for the folks thank at home, you. Huh, you're very welcome. And for the folks at home, we are uh, we are the kings. This is coming out on on March 1st through Bold Story Press. You can go to Ariane Torres, uh, A-R-I-A-N-E-T-O-R-R-E-S dot com for more information. Definitely get your copy, uh, print, ebook, your local bookstore, wherever you guys go. Check it out. It's definitely worth a read. Ariane, we'll, um, hopefully we'll be, we'll be talking down the road for uh, book two. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. This is Angelina Singer, author of the Upper World series, and you're listening to Citywide Blackout, the best podcast for independent artists. Okay, everyone. That brings this episode to a close. Big thanks to Ariane for joining me. And once again, March 1st is the release date. Check it out, folks. I know you'll like it. You can follow the show on Facebook under Citywide Blackout and Twitter and Instagram under Citywide Max. Get at me at citywidemax at yahoo.com and check out the show wherever you find podcasts, as well as every Saturday at 10 p.m. on Boston Free Radio. As always, keep those ears open. Picture this. You finished your first book and nailed it. The plot, the characters, all the twists and turns. This one's a winner, and all you need is the right cover. If you've got my art skills, this is the part where panic usually sets in. Enter the cover villain. Hero to writers everywhere. Founded by noted author Remy Flagg, cover villain focuses on composite image covers for science fiction and fantasy writers. Give them the details, and they'll craft a cover using popular trends that everyone will want to see. But wait, you say, I've got ideas of my own. No problem, as CoverVillain loves a good collaboration. As they say, our goal is to put a little villain in every cover we make. Want to know more? Then head to CoverVillain.com and follow them on Facebook and Instagram.